to say Happy Father's Day. Yeah, let's give the fathers a hand this morning for everything they do. I want to go on the record um, for letting you know that, you know, Ron just fear, uh, finished this series. Hello. Ron just finished the series on women of the Bible. And if you remember, if you go back, he started that series um, on Mother's Day, right? So notice that he got the Mother's Day message. I get the Father's Day message because, now, uh, I mean, those of you who have attended church for a long time, uh, you know, especially guys, hone in with me here, all right? On Mother's Day, it's like, oh, the mother, aren't the mothers great? There's nothing like the love of a mother, you know? On Father's Day, it's like, guys, it's time to step up to the plate. We need to do better, all right? Pretty much truth, right? Well, and that's the way it's going to be today as well. So thank you, Ron. Ron, is, Ron and Stacy are traveling, so keep them in your prayers as uh, they're on vacation uh, right now. Uh, the, the, the series is called Dedication, and the thought behind the Dedication, of course, there's a, um, if you've seen commercials, there's some marketing out there on dedication right now, and we took that because we want to talk for the next, it's going to be a three-week series, but we want to talk about the dedication of a father and the dedication that dad should have. The title of my message this morning, Big Daddy, actually comes, goes way back, um, probably 30 years ago. I can remember uh, a, a sermon by Jensen Franklin that was called Big Daddy, and I tried to find that on it's so old I couldn't find it online I couldn't you know through any of his stuff or anything but I can remember back when that I, I did have I think some I don't uh, uh, CDs cassette tapes that type of thing but anyway I had some notes and so I want to give him credit for the sermon topic this morning because that's where the term big daddy comes from if you want to get started with this we're going to be in the book of Malachi the last book of the Old Testament and we're going to study the verses uh, 5 and 6 from Malachi chapter 4 uh, in our discussion today. That reads, Look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his scripture. First point on your outline today is this. The current picture of fatherhood in America is bleak. Statistically, what we're facing right now in America could be what continues to rot and destroy our nation. America is what it is today because of great families and great people who put a lot of time and effort into building the nation that we currently have. But here are the facts. The World War II generation has been dying at the rate of 1,500 deaths per day. That's over a half million people every year dying off. We baby boomers are getting older and retiring, starting to get completely out of the workforce. And that means the control of America is now in the hands of the Generation Xers and the Millennials. Generation 
Xers come from a generation where 35% of them are born into the home of a teenage mother without a dad in the home. Let that sink in. Generation Xers, 35%. The millennials, as of statistics from 2001, that increased to 40%. Of babies born in America are born into the, into the home of a teenage young lady without a daddy in the home. We are approaching nearly one in every two. Nearly half of all children being born in America are being born into a fatherless home. In 1965... That's not that long ago to some of us. To others, you, you don't know what happened in 1965. But in 1965, those percentages were 3% for a white Caucasian family and 24% in the black community. Today, it is 40% in the Caucasian community and 70% in the black community. There was an organization that was founded, started the talk of it in the early 1900s, around 1919, 1920, but there, there was a part of that organization that was founded in 1939 by a woman. And that organization was called the Negro Project. The purpose of that project was to wipe out, in that day and age, to wipe out the Negro population. That organization today is called Planned Parenthood. And maybe, just maybe, that explains why there are so many more abortions in the black community than there are in the white community because the roots of that organization that defends the abortion clinics in America and fights for the right for young ladies to have an abortion without even telling their parents, maybe it's because its deepest roots go back to trying to stamp out the black population. That's a phenomenal thing that most people don't know or is not talked about today. We will not be the nation that we have been for all these years if half of our nation continues to be born into families without a dad in their homes or in their lives. Now think about what I'm saying. Half of our nation being raised in fatherless homes. And there may be some of you in here today, I'm a very blessed individual. My mom and dad sit here in front of me, you know, at, uh, sorry mom, I'm going to tell your age, at the age of, you know, 86 now, and and raised me in the church, and I'm a very blessed individual. Maybe you're sitting in here today, and you didn't have that blessing in your lives. Maybe you're sitting in here today, and, and your father wasn't in your life. I want you to know and understand something this morning. You did not come from your parents. You came through your parents. 
That simply means that if your father was not there for you, maybe he was everything but a father to you. Maybe you don't even know who your father is. But I believe that you need to hear that you did not come from your father. You came through your father. God put you together. God is the one who made you. He just used your parents to get you here. And even if your father wasn't there, no one understand this. Without the shadow of a doubt, God has a plan for your life. And a plan for what he wants you to accomplish for the kingdom. Listen to this. A counselor, a full-time counselor um, in the NBA Association, the National Basketball Association, so professional basketball players, a counselor who works for that association estimates that the basketball players in our professional basketball league have fathered more children illegitimately in the cities that they play in than what they have collectively in their own homes. He went on to say that the paternity suits are so great that these men making multi-million dollars playing basketball are retiring broke. Many of them support kids all over the nation as absentee fathers. Something is happening. Could it be a curse? A curse of fatherlessness on this nation. And with that fatherlessness comes poverty. The curse of poverty. With that fatherlessness in the homes comes crime comes drugs, comes immorality. Because when when the enemy separates the family and the father from the house and the father from the kids, statistically, when the one thing we have learned, with that comes the poverty, crime, drugs, and everything that goes along with that. And that is what we're experiencing in our nation. In Kruger National Park, which is in South Africa, in Kruger National Park, it's the biggest game preserve in the world, and they had a problem. They had too many elephants, and the elephants were killing their vegetation. So they had to do something. Vegetation's being destroyed. So what they decided to do was to separate the older male elephants from the younger male elephants. And what they did was they took the, the, the... the more elderly elephants, and just had them put to death. They exterminated them. And they took many of the young male elephants and they moved them to Phyllisburg, South Africa, which is about 300 miles away. And when they took the younger male elephants and moved them to Phyllisburg, South Africa, it was at an area, at a place where there was the biggest population of white rhinos. And the rhinos were on the endangered species list. But it was the biggest population that we had in the world. And when the young male elephants got there, something strange started happening. All of a sudden, the rhinos, they were finding the rhinos dead all over the area. And so they thought that probably there were poachers that were coming in and killing the white rhinos. And so they set up cameras to watch what was taking place. And what they found is... 
There weren't poachers coming in and killing the rhinos. These elephants had gotten together and formed gangs. They had gotten together and they were attacking the rhinos. Even though elephants don't have a natural enemy in their habitat, elephants per se are not aggressive. Elephants are are not one to go out and try to go after their prey or whatever. But these elephants had gotten together and formed gangs and were killing the white rhinos. And so here's what they did. They went back to Kruger National Park and they brought some of the older elephants that were still around and they brought them back and brought them to where the younger male elephants were. And when they got the younger elephants back around the older male elephants, they began, and and these younger elephants began to learn what it looked like to be more mature from the older male elephants, they began to behave normally. They broke out of their gangs and they stopped killing the rhinos. Could it be that nature's trying to teach us something? Is it any mystery that especially in our cities, but even in communities like we have today, is it any mystery that we have gangs of young people banding together, going around and doing things, and we have drive-by shootings, and we have crime, and we have drugs, and we have all this immorality, a sense of no morals? Could it be that it's because many of them have no older, mature male in their lives teaching them how to really grow up and behave. Maybe, just maybe, the answer is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. So in turn, the children will turn their hearts back to the fathers. Because then we can have a healing in this nation. The second point I want to leave you with today is a father doesn't require performance from his children before he shows them love. Or at least he shouldn't. And you might think, that's a small point. That, that's not that big of a deal, but, but it is. I mean, we have all, have we not all seen the stories, read the stories, watched them on YouTube or on the TV? We've all seen stories that these these events, these youth events where some angry parent gets out of hand. I I remember a few years back of watching the trial of a man at a hockey game, his son's hockey game, who after the hockey game pulled the referee aside and actually physically beat him to death in front of all these youth over a call that he didn't like. And, and we see it at baseball games, we see it at basketball games, you read about it and hear about it all the time. And, and what, what we have is we have a generation of parents who, who, who are kind of angry parents trying to build Olympic champions out of average children who ought to be loved for just being on the level that they are. You see, a father doesn't require the performance from his children before he shows them how much he loves them. Let me give you a good example. God the Father. Jesus comes up out of the water and he's just been baptized. 
And all of a sudden, we hear a voice from heaven, right? God's voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, let me tell you why that's important. When this happened, Jesus was 30 years old. He hadn't started his ministry yet. When God spoke those words, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, he hadn't performed the miracles yet. He hadn't healed those people yet. He hadn't raised any of them from the dead yet. He hadn't even called a disciple yet. Had not even begun his ministry. But before he did anything, the father spoke and said, you don't have to do anything for me to love you. Yeah, you're going to do great things. And I'm going to love you when you do them. But I think he's telling us as as parents and grandparents today that even if you don't perform, even if you don't meet the expectations, even if you're not the best player, even if you're not that Olympic athlete, I still love you and I want you to know that before you ever begin. That's what God did for Jesus. That's heavy. Because we live in a generation that has regulated our acceptance of our kids by how well they perform. It's kind of a mindset that if you perform, then you'll prove yourself to me and then I can reward you. You don't have to perform. I I, I have a news alert for you. Most kids are not going to be Olympic champions. They're just going to be kids. And they need to be loved just like they are. I'm enjoying a whole new round of attending these t-ball games and the little softball games, little baseball games. And, you know, you stand there and you watch and you observe and some of them have their glove upside down and some of them are over playing in the dirt and... I mean, they don't have a clue, right? They don't have a clue of what's going on. They're on third base, and all they got to do is go from third to home, right? Well, they got to go across to first before they go back to home, and they're all over the place. And it amazes me to watch some of these parents, especially the dads. They got blood in their eyes. And when the balls hit, All of a sudden, you'll hear this voice come out. Get the ball! Get the ball! Go get the ball! Just screaming from the the side. And and, uh, the one they're talking to on the field, he he doesn't even have his glove on. I mean, he's playing with the clover in in the grass. He could care less about what's going on. But dad, dad's over there going berserk. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We need to teach our kids to work hard. We need to teach our kids to try to get better. We need to teach our kids to have benchmarks and goals and work to achieve them. But what I'm saying is don't get crazy about it. 
A child needs to know that he or she is not loved according to their performance. They are loved because of who they are and who they belong to. Because they're a child of God. That's why when Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan came to him to tempt him and say, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus refused to do it. Do you ever wonder why he might refuse? I mean, he could have. See, he wouldn't, I'll prove the point to you. You know, he could have said, I'll, I'll get you out of my way. Okay? But he refused to do it. You know why? Because if he had been the example of where he had to perform a miracle in order for him to be accepted, to be the son of God, then all of us would take it that it was only by our works and what we could do in order to be accepted as well. But he didn't do that. He didn't have to perform to prove who he was. Jesus said, nope. I'm going with what my father said about me. That's what I'm going to go with. And I don't have to do anything to prove I am who I say I am. My father's already said it. Parenting is something else. Something else. Can I share with you a story uh, that I came across from... Uh, the book Chicken Soup for the Father's Soul. It was written by a minister named James Robertson. And uh, he was telling a story about uh, a year when his son was younger. His son's name was Randy. And he was telling a story about when Randy, his son, was playing baseball and Little League baseball. And he was having a great year and um, playing really well and uh, batting over 500. And he was leading the league in home runs. Uh, but he said he played for a coach that uh, wanted to play everybody wanted to have equal playing time with everybody. And he said, more than once I told him my opinion of that. What I thought about it. And he said, I was sending the wrong signals. And he said, as the year came to a close and they voted for the all-star team, his son made the all-star team. And of course, they were really happy about that. And the day of the first all-star game, he was running late to get to the ball diamond. And as he's approaching the ball diamond with a little bit of anxiety, he's looking around on the field. He saw that his son's team was on the field and he's looking around and he didn't see Randy anywhere. And all of a sudden, he looks in the dugout and they only had 10 players. And all of a sudden, he looks in the dugout and Randy is the one player who's sitting on the bench not starting the game. And his thought process was, what in the world is going on? I mean, he's the leading hitter in the league. He's hit more home runs than anybody. Why in the world would my son be on the bench? Does his coach not, eat, does he not want to win? And then he said, for once in my life, I got it right. He said, I walked over to the dugout because I knew Randy would be worried about what dad thought about all of this. He said, I walked to the dugout and I leaned into the dugout and I told Randy, he said, I want you to know that dad is just as proud of you sitting on this bench as I would be if you were starting third base and hitting home runs. There's one thing that you need to do is just be my son. You don't have to do anything to prove anything to me. You are my son, and I'm proud of you. And you've got my approval 100%. And he said tears filled the little boy's eyes, his son's eyes. 
And he said, somehow I knew that I had touched a chord. That's powerful. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. The third thing, the third takeaway today is this. Parenting is hard. Parenting is hard. I thought this week, although, what kind of, what, what can I come up with to talk about parenting and, and, and what parenting is like? And what I came up with was, uh, think about the time, think, think back when you were uh, helping to teach your kids how to ride a bike. Everybody remember those days of trying to teach them how to ride a bike? And then you come to the time when it's time to take the training wheels off, right? And you, and you take the training wheels off and you're helping them go and, and, and what do they say? Don't let go, daddy. Don't let go. Don't let go, daddy. Right? And, and, and if you're like me, I would put one hand on the, on the handlebars and one hand on the back of the seat. And, you know, we'd start real slow and then you get going quicker and then you're kind of going at a pace where you can't run anymore, right? And you do that and all along the way they're saying, don't let go, daddy. Don't let go. Even as you ran beside him. And then you got to the point where you could tell something was changing. Something was evolving. And finally it would come to that moment when the kids knew that they were ready. And they were ready to go. And all of a sudden it's like, let go, daddy. Let go. And I thought, that's really what parenting's like. Knowing when to hold on to them. Knowing how much leash you can give. Knowing when to let them have their independence. And for my kids, now of course they're grown and they're experiencing being parents themselves and they're living out their gifts and talents in doing that. And I've been blessed to release them into their futures, but to let go? Never. Because see, a daddy who really loves his children will never let them go. I might release them right on their own, but I'll be there right behind them when they fall to help pick them back up. But I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying this front row seat of being the grandparent watching kids raise my grandkids. I mean, to hear them, hear the conversation and hear them say things, you know, when they're complaining about my grandkids, and they're saying things like, yeah, they know how to get the clothes out of the closet, but they don't know how to put the clothes back into the closet. They know how to get the milk out, but they don't know how it goes back in to the refrigerator. They know how to find the snack drawer and take the last little Debbie out of the box, but they don't know how to put the box into the trash can. They know how to take a shower, but they don't know how to pick up their clothes in that wet towel on the floor that's on the floor in my house. Some of you can relate, I can tell. When our kids were growing up, I had the opportunity to be a consultant to do some work for a company called the Schlechty Center out of Louisville, Kentucky. It was a, um, we, we worked on school reform, and we'd go in and help school districts, school corporations try to uh, reform their schools and you know, get better. 
and that type of thing. And with that came a lot of travel, and I had the opportunity to go to a lot of cities around the, the country and, and uh, share and, and uh, talk in front of uh, a lot of educators. And every once in a while, Sandy would get the opportunity to travel with me. So we would kind of use that as, you know, like a little getaway, little vacation sometimes. And uh, there were times where we could not wait uh, to get away, you know, just for for a weekend or so, you know, by ourselves. And it was, it, 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 every time, it's like, man, I can't wait to get away, you know, go leave the kids with, with the grandparents at that point in time and so forth. Never failed. We'd check into our hotel room and maybe be, you know, even just relaxing, sitting in a chair, lying on the bed. And within 24 hours, it was like, oh, wonder what the kids are doing. Need to get back home to the kids, right? Right? Why is that, that they can drive you crazy when you're around them, but as soon as you get away from them, you can't stand it, and you have to get right back to them? And then we'd get back, and we wouldn't notice their cute little faces. All of a sudden, we would notice all the stuff that's laying on the floor and the mess that's not cleaned up. And any of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Been there, haven't you? Well, sometimes if we're not careful as parents, we'll major on things that are important, but they're not the most important. They're not the biggest things that we need to be doing as parents and as daddies. I recently read a story. Maybe you saw it because I think it went across Facebook as well. And I know you all believe it. I mean, that's like outside of the Bible. It's the next best thing. But anyway, this story was between a a father and his son, and it kind of went like this. The son said, Daddy, may I ask you a question? And the daddy said, Sure, son, what is it? And the son said, Daddy, how much money do you make an hour? And the dad said, Well, that's none of your business. Why would you ask such a thing? And the son said, Well, I just want to know, please tell me, Daddy, how much money you make in an hour? And finally the dad said, Well, if you must know, I make $100 an hour. And the little, bit, little boy said, oh, and put his head down. And then a few seconds later, he raised it back up and he said, Daddy, may, may I borrow $50? <laughs> yeah, right? And the father was furious. He said, if the only reason you ask is so that you can borrow money to buy some silly toy or other nonsense, then just march yourself right upstairs to your room and go to bed. Think about why you're being so selfish. I work hard for the money, and I don't need this childish behavior. The little boy quietly went to his room, and he shut the door, and the man sat down, and he started to get even angrier the more he thought about it. And he said, how dare he ask such questions only to get some money? But after about an hour or so, and he'd calmed down a little bit, he started to think, well, maybe there really was something that he needed that money for. I mean, he didn't ask for money often. And the man went to the door of the little boy's room, and he opened the door, and the dad said, Son, are you asleep? And the son said, No, Daddy, I'm awake. And the dad said, I've been thinking, maybe, maybe I was too hard on you. It's been a long day, and I took my, my aggravation out on you. Here's the $50 that you asked for. And the little boy sat straight up and started smiling. He said, Oh, thank you, Daddy. And then he reached under his pillow and he pulled out some crumpled bills that was under his pillow. And the man saw that the boy already had money and then he started to get angry again. The little boy slowly counted out his money. 
And then he looked up at his father, and his father said, why do you want $50 if you already have some money? And the son said, because I didn't have enough. But now I do. Daddy, here's $100. Will you come home early tomorrow? I want to play with you. father was crushed and he put his arms around his little son and begged for forgiveness see life's short isn't it life is so short and we shouldn't let time slip through our hands or through our fingers without spending the time with those who mean the most to us before we know it they'll be gone Kids will be grown and they'll be out on their own. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for the fathers to turn their hearts back to the children. And God says then, the children will turn their hearts back to the fathers. Because here's what I know. God can fix it. God can fix it. And it's my prayer that we as dads and granddads and great-granddads or wherever we stand in all of that is that we don't mess it up. I'm going to do something right now as we, as we get ready to close. I want every... I was going to have um, the fathers bring their kids up. I know most of them are in children's church and stuff. But if you are a father of any kind, I want you to stand up right now. I want all fathers, if you're a father, have been a father or whatever, stand up right now. And I want to pray for you and pray with you. As you're getting ready for that, I might just leave you with this. I didn't know I was going to say this, but um, as I look you know, down here, um, I'll be 62 next week. And like I said, dad's 86. I still go to him for advice. I think of the conversations that over the years, uh, just, you know, calling for advice, calling with excitement of something that's happened in my life and, and wanting to share it. Um, got this job. This happened with kids. Just so many things of, uh, well, I can... You know, a couple of them, that's just like, why did, why did he not kick me out of the family? I don't know. But, you know, like, like the time that, that uh, the time I'm on scholarship to play baseball at West Virginia University, but Sandy's at Georgetown College, and I call home and say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get rid of that scholarship, and I'm going withdraw uh, or, yeah, to withdraw and go to uh, Georgetown to be with Sandy instead of continuing on it. He didn't scold me. It just... Let it all play out. Or uh, even the time after 27 years in public education, a great job. Assistant superintendent, Jennings County, paid good money and uh, called and said, Hey, Dad, uh, Ron Bridgewater called me and wanted to know if I'd come talk to them about being the administrator at Columbus Christian School. All right. God will work that out. No, I probably shouldn't tell it. You're, you're probably going to get mad. <laughs> or the time, okay, so I became a, a head basketball coach at the age of 26, pretty young. And I, I, uh, 
I went to Waldron, was head coach at Waldron, and, and in the three years we were there, we got to be where we were pretty good, but one night we were playing Whiteland. Now, Whiteland's a pretty big school compared to Waldron's 1A, Whiteland's 4A, right? And man, we were, we were competing. We were right there with them, and it, it was a, a real competitive game, and it was getting pretty rough. Uh, I don't think Whiteland liked a little Waldron playing with them so tough, and so they started trying to beat us up a little bit, and they took one of our kids and just like, man, just threw him out of the corner of the gym, you know, up, up into the bleachers, the wall there or whatever, and so it's getting kind of crazy. So I'm throwing a fit, you know, young coach throwing a fit, and, and so I'm out on the court, and I'm getting in the referee's ear, and, you know, you, you didn't call, you know, anything or whatever, and the fans are getting into it, and, and, and uh, the next thing I know, the, so there's money being thrown on the court, you know, kind of goes back to those stories earlier, right? There's money being thrown on the court, and it just, you know, I, of course, I get a technical, I get teed up, whatever, and, and, uh, and, uh, the, the game's over, and I come in Monday morning, and the principal calls me in, and he said, uh, Ken, I'm going to have to suspend you. I'm like, suspend me? He's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you were inciting a riot. The crowd was going nuts. I'm like, well, all right, I, I'm, I'm 20, by this time, 27, 28. I don't know what, I'm young. I, I'm, what do I do? I've never been suspended, you know, before from anything or whatever. What, so I thought, I'm going to call Dad. He's on the school board at Jennings County. I mean, he'll give me advice, right? I mean, I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to, what if the board gets involved or whatever? So I call home and I'm explaining to dad that he was at the game. And I'm like, dad, I, I got called in, you know, this morning and the principal suspended me. And um, I don't think we'll have to miss any games, but I can't be at practice all week. And, and um, they're worried about what the newspapers are going to say about this and whatever. I'm like, what, what do you think I should do? And my dad, who is as calm a guy as you ever want to be around, said, Kendall, I don't know what happened. He said, you know, that game was getting out of hand, and you went out there, and everybody started yelling and everything, and the next thing I know, my hand just came out of my pocket, and the money went out there on the floor. And I'm like, Dad, you're the reason I got suspended. <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. That's a true story. But here's my point. There's not enough money in the world that could ever buy those conversations. Not enough money in the world to take those phone calls or that advice away. So fathers, dads, Granddads, great-granddads, I just want to pray with you right now. Would you join me in prayer? God, life is short. And we have a tremendous responsibility with these children and grandchildren. Lord, don't let us mess it. Don't let us mess it up. Help us to not focus on things that won't mean a whole lot when we get old and gray-haired. <laughs> but Lord, help us to take time to raise our kids in the way of the Lord. And Father, I want to thank you right now for these men who are standing up before you. Speak to their hearts. Maybe rearrange their priorities. Do something today that brings... The father's hearts back to the children 
and the children's hearts back to the Father's. And Lord, I pray if there's been hurt, heal it. I pray if there's been division, Lord, please heal it. And let us all be the men that you have called us to be. Help us all to lead our families to honor you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody else, you want, if you're willing, able to stand, go ahead and stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I know it's a little bit different of a message this morning. But we come to a time now of, of invitation. And we've talked about what God can do in our lives and how he can, you know, help us with the decisions and the advice and the counseling and, and raising godly kids and leading a godly family. Maybe you're here today and you really don't know what that looks like or understand what that means. Maybe you've never taken the opportunity to give your life to Christ and allow him to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life where he can lead you and guide you uh, to be that kind of a person, whether it be a father, a mother, or single, or whatever that is. And you're, you're looking, maybe you feel your heart being pulled a little bit toward that today. If you would like to make that decision, we'd love to have you come and pray with you and, and walk you through that. And maybe you're here and you've just been a father or a mother, parent of any kind, grandparent of any kind, and you just have been thinking about things that have taken place and, and relationships within your own family or whatever, and, and you, you need to change some of the priorities in your life. You need to have a refocus, a redirection. I pray you get that. If you want to pray about that, we'll pray with you for that as well. Maybe that's something you do right there where you're standing today. And maybe you're here and, and uh, you've been visiting with us and, and you're looking for a, a good God-based, Bible-based church family. And if you'd like to make East Columbus Christian Church your, your family home today, we'd love to, to talk to you about that as well. But as we sing this final hymn, this hymn of invitation, if you have a decision make, to make today... Don't wait. Life is short. Things go by. And if God's calling you today, make sure you answer that call. Let's sing.